0: Why haven't you seen why the Gold Rush? Why I haven't the have have gold why you seen Before Sunset?
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of FilmWise, also known as the Why Haven't You Seen This Film podcast. As always, I am Wheat from Flights, and Movie and each episode I have a guest on who introduces me to a film that I've never seen before that's usually a classic or a a, uh, modern classic, uh, something that they're surprised that I've never seen before. And in return, I have them watch a superhero or comic book movie that they've never seen before. And today, my guest is Tim Costa from the First Time Watchers podcast. How are you doing?
0: I am fantastic. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you.
1: Yeah, we've been kind of working together uh, for a little while now. But uh, for those who don't know about your podcast, why don't you go ahead and uh, tell them a little bit about First Time Watchers and where they can find you.
0: Well, I am one of three co-hosts on the First Time Watchers podcast. I uh, co-host with my two other friends, uh, Walter Vinci and Hermano Da Silva. And we have, uh, we're quickly approaching five years on the show now. We're just over 220 episodes and uh yeah we we've been doing it for a a long time and still having a lot of fun you know the the whole premise of the show is that all three of us find a movie that we haven't seen before and watch it and discuss it and uh you know that's usually our main review at the end of the show we start off with some movies that we've scene on our own and then we will uh, either talk about some trailers uh, or play a fun game uh, in the, our second segment and uh, we even have a couple of bi-monthly guests that join us to, to break up the mino- the monotony a little bit you know hmm. uh, for that second segment so yeah no we've, we've uh, it's kind of morphed you know as I think most podcasters know that you know the first several or a couple of dozen episodes, you know, uh, always kind of is, is an evolving process, you know, and I think we kind of found our footing kind of after 40 or 50 episodes. And uh, we've kind of reached a, you know, a nice groove and we're having a lot of fun uh, once a week. So and you can find us, uh, you just search first time watchers and we're on uh, uh, iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on Google Play. Uh, You can find all of our back catalog at firsttimewatchers.blogspot.com, and uh, hit us up on Twitter at 1sttimewatchers.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I know a lot of podcasts tend to uh, morph after a while of doing it, and uh, some more than others. I I think I was lucky enough, um, because I I think I cut my teeth on a couple other podcasts before Mm. starting this one, so and and on, so my main format hasn't changed much, although I do have uh, additional episodes here and there that break format that allow me to kind of stretch my wings in, in the podcast uh, community. That's that's always nice.
0: Indeed, it is, and you know, once again, uh, I've thanked you on our show, uh, and I'll thank you again on your own show. Is is you took up a a fantastic and i'm sure time-consuming responsibility of putting together some montages for us you know we we started it on our 200th episode as a big extravaganza you know you you helped do uh our, i think our first 50 episodes mm-hmm. uh as a montage that we could feature uh, amongst uh, other people that contributed you know for our 200th episode and then Uh, Ever since you know you you've been doing uh, one for every uh, ten episodes, so you know a a, a big thank you to you. You've done a fantastic job with those, and they're really a lot of fun. I think you give you provide a good uh, brief kind of essence or uh, of the show. You know, a good feel for it.
1: Yeah, and and I like doing it. I, I do. Aside from the time consuming aspect, I do enjoy myself whenever I'm editing podcasts. So I, I like these having these little challenges like <laughs> this that, that let me do something a little outside of the box. So it, it is it is fun for me. Um even though it can occasionally take a lot of time. Like <laughs> uh but it sometimes it's it's worth it like i i just like every time i think I listened to that that playtime montage like <laughs> five or six times and never got tired of it it was just amazed at how how did it just kept growing and growing as i was uh building that together and and that was <laughs> i i just love that, that yeah
0: no out. it showed it, it was a lot of fun to listen to, and it's also led to a great uh, kind of co-partnership with us, you know, when it comes to sponsoring each other's shows. So it's it's been real nice and beneficial for both of us, I think.
1: Yeah, and uh, I do have some questions to get to know your film taste a little bit better. Uh, so what are th- three films that you've seen the most often and haven't gotten tired of and i'm pretty sure i know what one of those are
0: <laughs> uh yeah anybody who's listened to, to to my show will easily be able to recognize that diehard is is my favorite movie of all time so you can scratch that one off of uh, of three and um you know i think it's just easiest to say what my three favorite films are because they're so diverse i think And so other than Die Hard, my second favorite is Titanic, which may shock a lot of people who, you know, either haven't listened to me or don't know me, you know. So, yeah, that that, Titanic is kind of the movie that uh, that was like almost the start of my film loving um, life, I guess. I don't know. It reached me at the perfect time. I was 20. Uh, I wasn't even yeah, I guess uh, 90s. that came, movie came out in 97, so I was 19 when that came out. And and that's when I really first started getting into movies, you know, and really – you know, my best friend at the time was also into movies. We used to go see movies all the time together. We go, used to go to the theater all the time. And uh, and for some reason, that film just struck a chord with me. And I it was one of the first films that I really wanted to know everything about it, how it was made and what was done into the – into all the production, all that kind of stuff. Um, so it, it well, I do recognize some of its flaws, especially in its script, I think everything else about it has really, uh, it might have even uh, kind of set me off on a path uh, when it comes to film literature, if, if you will, I don't know. Yeah, uh, and in another one, I, I know
1: whenever it, it came out, I think that I was one of those few holdouts um, and, and, I just kept holding out as it continued to gain popularity, and I only recently watched it within the past couple years. Wow. Uh, actually, as as an earlier episode of of this podcast.
0: Yeah. I, well, what did you think?
1: I, I did enjoy it quite a bit. It, it was better than I expected. I, I thought the uh, the love story didn't um, wasn't overly schmaltzy,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: mm-hmm. and that all the action, like the disaster movie part of it, was was really incredible.
0: Uh, yeah, you can't fault James Cameron for epic filmmaking, you know. Yeah. So, uh, And the, the third film, I guess, would be uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window. Uh, that's another film that I saw early on in life. I think my mother introduced it to me. And uh, it's just something that captured my attention. Uh, once again, probably from a production design standpoint, it, just the idea of a man... Who can't leave his apartment and is relatively immobile hmm. and is just utilizing his time to look over uh, overlook this courtyard uh, and just the the set of the courtyard and how you can see into all, everybody's apartments. It was just fascinating to me. I really I really enjoyed that uh, and I still enjoy it today because I think it's a fantastic, wonderfully made and executed film. I, I, so it's it stuck up there for you know my top three movies of all time.
1: Yeah, Hitchcock is a, is another filmmaker who I'd, I'd seen, like, a couple of his films before starting this podcast, but he is the, the filmmaker that my guests kind of pick out more mm. more often than than not. And, um, like, doing this show is, has made me become, like, more of a Hitchcock fan. I think I've done, like, six or seven of his movies on, on this show, and, and every hard. one of them is fantastic.
0: Yeah, it's hard to go wrong with Hitchcock, you know? Um and and um you know, I think that's another thing about doing podcast a movie podcast, as you've just attested to, is that it, it- uh, leads you into all different aspects of film, you know, and film history, and and you're able to see movies that you otherwise would have never seen. And that was the whole premise of uh, of us starting the, our podcast was, and and why we didn't want to be beholden to every single new release, you know. Yeah. Uh, and and how we just uh, wanted to open ourselves up, you know, to to uh, a lot of other films that we otherwise, like I said, we wouldn't have been able to see.
1: Yeah, and that's exactly why I started. Uh, this podcast myself too, especially doing a niche blog. Sure, it, it gave me an excuse to break out of that niche uh, every once in a while. Uh, well, right now, like every two weeks or so. Um. So, moving on, what what would you say is your favorite film that you've only seen once? Like either a, a newer film that's that really struck you that you've only had the chance to see once, or maybe something that you saw once and just never got never went back to.
0: I well, OK, that, that's interesting, because I think the word favorite needs to be substituted <laughs> with with the most maybe impactful. And about four years ago, maybe five years ago, I saw United 93, uh, Paul Greengrass directed. Um, and and I that's a movie that I will never be able to watch again, but will always stick with me. Uh, I it, it, was, it was such a um, horrifying and uh, touching movie on so many levels that it was amazingly handled by Paul Greengrass. It's obviously a subject matter that needs delicate, a delicate touch, mm-hmm. and, and to be able to execute it in a way that seems so respectful – i it was stunning to me and it's one of those movies that i had on my netflix queue for a little bit and i and i had to prepare myself uh, knowing that i was going to be watching it so i made sure that it was on a saturday morning and i knew that i wasn't going to be seeing anybody for a while and I, it's one of those things i had to s- steal myself for it, that upcoming week right and and i remember watching it and you know not even before the movie was over i'm in tears i'm just an utter utter wreck and and i was sobbing for a good half an hour after that movie i mean just uncontrollable heaving sobs and and i, I it's just like i said it's a movie that i will never ever be able to watch again uh but i i will always have in the back of my mind as something that it is, real, is is really unique, you know, in, in how it was handled with such delicate subject matter, you know.
1: Yeah, I feel like myself, I tend to more or less avoid a lot of those films. I, I think I've only seen a couple of those, like, really impactful emotional films that's difficult to watch more than once
0: i i found my yeah I found myself it, 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 almost like a duty like I had to watch yeah. that film uh and and i'm gl- honestly I'm glad i did I, I it's a movie I would not recommend to everybody you know I'd have to know who that person is you know and how they take it would take in something like that before I would recommend it so yeah do do not go in if if you're at all emotional
1: <laughs> yeah um and on on a lighter note, uh, what would you say is your favorite superhero movie?
0: Oh, that's easy. That's Spider Man Two. Uh, I I still say it's the best superhero movie yet to date. Uh, I I think that what Sam Raimi was able to do uh, with pathos, how we, how um, it, it was able to delicately balance the the that notion of a a person struggling with dual identities and whether or not he can... He can actually uh, take on this responsibility, and whether or not he should continue to take on this responsibility, and then ultimately he realizes this is a part of him. It's something that will never be able to leave him, and he must find a way to balance his life with that. And honestly, I, I get a lot of flack for this, and and that's what I fault the Dark Knight trilogy for, especially the latter half of it, because I am so frustrated by the majority of that trilogy in which in which i don't think it's fun at all to to watch a a superhero not want to be a superhero and not realize that it is who he is and it's part of himself and it's something that ultimately he cannot let go and and I mean that's that's what you know the Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller and the and you know the graphic novel and also the the animated film hmm. uh, does well in, in which yes it's later on he's tried to abandon that part of life his life but he realizes that he he ha- he can't it's part of him you know he will never be able to walk away and that's why I think. Spider-Man Two balances that with just epic action scenes and and uh, and just amazing because like, of pathos and 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 uh, character uh, building uh, and and just uh, character structure and and identity. You know, I I just love Spider-Man Two. I think it's it's the best. And nothing has topped it yet.
1: Yeah, I I really want to make time to to watch that one again. That's one of my favorites. But I didn't. I think the last time I saw it was. Whenever I reviewed it for my site, which was whenever the first Amazing Spider-Man came out, because mm-hmm. uh, that's whenever I've revisited all three of the the Raimi trilogy before catching the the first Mark Webb uh, film. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, all right. Um,
1: now, I, since I do, uh, since my website is is on a narrow niche of movies, uh, superhero movies. If you were to do like a blog or another podcast. Or even just to to pick like a narrow niche of movies as your favorites, as something narrower than like the, the broad action category,
0: what would that be? Mm, that's a good question. Um, you know, it, it, we mentioned Alfred Hitchcock and it even came up on our show recently in that I, I think it would be – and it probably already exists – an Alfred Hitchcock podcast, you know. I think it would be amazing to go through his filmography, and we've done several of his movies on our show already. And we're even our upcoming episode is actually going to be another Alfred Hitchcock film. Um, you know, we had we had watched a silent film of his because many people don't know that he cut his teeth on silent films, and and I mean he was a he was making films for like fifty years. Yeah. And like a and, lot of
1: people say I I imagine that most non-cinephiles whenever you say alfred hitchcock they they probably think that he made maybe a couple dozen movies
0: yeah i know and he he also had a television show you know so uh i just think that would be a fascinating um fascinating podcast however i i think if you want to tie it into this episode uh, that we're recording right now I would love to see a a podcast on the Before series, even just all three, just three films. You know, I think do, if you Do you like
1: the uh, the Before minute, the
0: Before minute, oh, that's a good that's a good one. Um,
1: like where the like the the recent trend of uh, podcast that's uh, cover a film a minute at a time.
0: I, I honestly, I think it's possible. I think it, with the Before series, and I'm sure we'll get into it for you know how much I love the series, but. Um, I think the Before series could easily be broken down minute by minute, you know, th- because there's so much dialogue and there's so mm. much going on, uh, yeah. e- even within the frame itself, uh, outside of the dialogue, that I-, I think I think it's possible.
1: Yeah. And then finally, what would you say right now is your biggest film-wise or uh, your uh, list of shame movies?
0: Oh, uh, probably, you know what? I, I always try to think of something like that in context of my own show and and i think you know orson wells you know i've only seen a couple of, of orson wells films like um you know uh citizen kane and touch of evil um i, I don't think i've seen anything else you know i know that i think um, the only other
1: one that i'm even aware of is he did like f is for fake
0: yeah f is for fake and i think um was it the Magnificent Ambersons is another one of his. And I know that he's done others that I think uh, I would like to get into as well. Uh, There's always silent films. You know, we did a silent film series recently. And that always whenever I see a silent film, it always opens my eyes. You know, I've seen a couple of Charlie Chaplin films, a couple of Buster Keaton films and 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 we saw one Harold Lloyd film. And I'd like to get a little bit more into that. You know, I've seen uh, several others uh, on my own. uh, And I know it's a genre that would be worth digging into. So I I think those, you know, any classic, well-known silent film would be a, a list of shame film um so i mean you know i've had a ch- uh, the the good opportunity for in our show to to cross off a lot on mm-hmm. on that list you know so i uh, yeah outside of those it's, it's hard to think of in, any others
1: yeah well i mean it's it's often different for for different people i i know if right now if i ask myself this question i'm, I'm not even sure what i would say <laughs> well actually I, I think I i do know what i would say because i'm Kind of saving it right now for the the hundredth episode the the one kind of special thing I might be doing for uh the hundredth episode of filmwise, yeah because i uh, I don't think I'm going to to do like a hundredth uh, episode extravaganza, <laughs> uh, even though I have passed the hundred episode if I count all my uh extra episodes, the ones that aren't on format,
0: sure, all
1: right, but that's uh great to know a little bit more about your film watching days um. But now we're going to talk about the film that you had me watch for the the first time, Before Sunset.
0: I remember that night better than I do entire years. Do you look any different? Let's get on that boat. Come on, it'll be fun. You don't have time. It's evil, right? these dreams. I'm in the car and a buddy of mine is driving me downtown and I'm staring out the window and I think I see you. (laughs) So Before Sunset is the second in the Before trilogy uh, from 2004. Uh, It comes after uh, 1995's Before Sunrise in which uh, Ethan Hawke Jesse and Julie Delpy's Celine uh, met for the first time on a train and then wandered about in um, Vienna, I believe it was. Yeah, And uh, so, and then at the, well, I don't want to spoil them before uh, sunrise, <laughs> but um, let's just say that they meet up again uh, nine years later in Before Sunset, and they they walk around Paris uh, ruminating and, and reminiscing on their lives and also their last encounter and what has gone on since then, and so yeah, this was a series that I, I had heard so much about uh, for such a long time, uh, you know, listening to other podcasts, and I was always kind of just taken aback by like, okay, it's a couple of people talking, and how exciting! How exciting can that be, you know? Mm-hmm. And I saw Before Sunrise the, um, a couple, uh, probably about four years ago for the first time. And upon watching that one film and one film only, I said to myself that this is the best trilogy I've ever seen before I even saw the other two films. (laughs) Um, and I immediately got Before Sunset and and watched that and, and fell completely in love again. I uh, and reiterated my statement before even seeing the third film that this is the best trilogy I've ever seen. Um, now I know that you I think had seen before Sunrise relatively recently for the first time, right?
1: Um, it's it's been a little while. It was an earlier episode of, of Filmwise. Um, I I think it's it may have been roughly around the time whenever before Midnight came out. So it has been a, at least a couple years.
0: But who introduced you to it?
1: Um, it was actually J D. Duran. I don't
0: know who that is. <laughs> uh, let's try to not speak his name again. Um, <laughs> I just. But uh, and and what was your reaction, uh, if I may uh, bother you? Uh, actually, uh, what was your reaction to Before Sunrise?
1: I I, I really enjoyed it. it. It was one of those where it's. I really wish I had like more time to watch. Or it, Let me rephrase this. I wish I gave myself more time. Uh, to watch films that aren't specifically for my own blog and podcast. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: because I, I did want to finish the series on my own. Um, but, uh, it's been a couple years later and, and I still had to have somebody else, uh, get me to watch the, the next, uh, the next entry in the series. And, and, uh, and I really loved it. One, one thing that I was just thinking about is, the fact that it is like two people talking and it, it reminds me a lot of how podcast culture is in a way hmm. where, I mean, it, I mean, I know that there's like specific topical podcasts, but there is a large section of podcasts that are essentially just two people talking about their lives.
0: Sure. Yeah.
1: And it, it feels, it almost feels in that way, it almost feels like the, the, the first two before movies were ahead of their time. Because there, it it it's, it almost is like listening to two people, and especially this one more than the the first movie. Because the the first movie, there is a little bit of um, of time compression because it, it's like one entire evening
0: yeah.
1: over the course of an hour and a half or so.
0: Where no, this that's one, a good
1: point. where this one, it, it feels like it's almost exactly an hour and a half.
0: I know, it does feel almost in real time, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, because there isn't really any time jumps.
0: Because no, whenever you're...
1: they're walking from place to place, we actually see them talking while they're walking. And even whenever they get, in the, like, they get into the boat, and like the boat ride is just continuous, they, there isn't really a cutaway where they're someplace else. And then they go from the boat to the car, and we see them talking in the car ride.
0: So I think you've you've hit on something that might ha- be a, a a good attribute uh, you can attribute to both Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy along with Richard Linklater and how comfortable they've become with these characters. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I I think that they uh, when you talk about the first movie, the, the what struck me the most was how genuine their their relationship seemed, their their budding romance seemed, and how how their chemistry was just so perfect. You know, the, the, the chemistry between Ethan Hawke and Julie W. The actors uh, are amazing mm-hmm. in the first film and, and it, how they are able to convey true love, you know, uh, two two people meeting and falling in love is, is astounding. I, I can't give enough um, exclamations, you know, and adjectives to, to how genuine, uh, I I'll, you're going to be hearing me use the word genuine over and over <laughs> and over again in this in this episode, uh, because it, it's so true. I've never, ever, ever seen a, a, a movie or a series of movies convey uh, love and connection in such a an authentic way. You know, Uh and before sunset, you see. It's impossible to talk about this film without talking about at least the, the first and if not the third film, but at the very least the, the first film, because mm-hmm. they go hand in hand, you know, uh and and I I urge everyone to to watch this series and not be in awe of how impeccable the script is. And that's another thing, too, when it comes to the script, it's so genuine. It makes you think that, oh, there's a lot of. um ad-libbing there's a lot of off-the-cuff outside of the script dialogue and when you go and look and research it everything is impeccably written everything Mm -hmm. is written down and it's it's everything that they are speaking is actually on paper and that is is stunning to me is absolutely stunning uh to to think that that's a dial the dialogue coming out of their mouths is 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 pre-written. It boggles my mind because it feels so genuine. It feels so authentic. It feels like everything is from the heart. And when it comes to Before Sunset, you know there's a point where they're, you know, later on in the film where they're discussing, you know, what their lives may have been like, you know, Hmm. uh, if they had actually been able to meet in between these two, you know, these two time periods. Right. And what uh, and, and how it is in conjunction with their current lives and how Jesse is married and has a child and how he feels about his wife and his marriage versus how he feels about his his son and and how he weighs that against his his longing uh, for for celine and how celine plays coy at first but then finally gives in and how she how she finally breaks and it it all comes to a head in this in this van ride which is one of the best most pure uh um amounts of filmmaking and just pure film, just cinef- its it's cinema. That it, when you describe cinema and what it's supposed to do to a person, it's supposed to engross you. It's supposed to uh, completely make you forget about everything around you and only what's on screen. And that van ride does that uh, to the nth degree, and and it, it makes you fully committed to to what they they are experiencing at this moment in time and and how you see this longing this this regret in celine's eyes and that moment when when uh jesse looks away and she puts her hand up and almost touches him mm-hmm. oh my god it, it breaks my heart it's yeah. it, it, it 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 makes me feel so many feelings that i can't even uh, put into words it's just stunning to me, stunning.
1: Yeah, that that's really great how they managed to to pull that moment off. And not only that, but I think it's so telling just where they are in their current relationships by just by the fact that that they don't mention either of their significant others until over half an hour into their conversation.
0: Yeah. 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 No, you're right. That that is that is an amazing uh, part of the script. It's an amazing. It's just uh, so well done because, you know, what it is, it's it's these people that are essentially catching up, you know, and mm-hmm. and they don't have they don't feel like it's a need to um to bring anything outside of that up, you know, and uh, and that's what makes it feel so natural because, you you know that there that there's uh outside influences, you know, uh and and internal conflicts, uh. That that are manipulating this um, conversation between them, uh, and and that's why they're kind of dancing around the subject at first, uh, and that's why it seems like small talk, but it's also quite it it, it, it combines small talk and genuine chatter and interesting uh, discussion, you know, uh, uh, and an internal uh i don't know it's so hard to describe you know because there's there's literally every aspect of a relationship and and romance is is handled in the script you know in such a short period of time i mean it's only 80 minutes long and and what they're able to <laughs> i continue i continue to say what they're able to to convey in 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 the short amount of time and it's also not just verbally it's it's physically you know in their faces as i mentioned in their hand movements uh, and and how they move around and, and look at one another, you know, L- like when they're about to go on that boat and and he's held back by the, you know, the, the person he has to pay or whatever. And and she moves forward and she keeps looking over her shoulder and you just wonder what's on uh, what's on her mind, you know, as she looks coyly over her shoulder back at him and and uh, to- as she's walking towards the boat and. No, it's just like the screenplay. It just it's it's amazing how it just focuses on, on the ideas of perspectives and how you see things and how the not just them but everybody perceives their life, you know. Mm-hmm. And and the fact that they can communicate to one another uh, um, ideas and thoughts that they probably would never and and don't convey to anybody else just shows how connected they are, you know. Uh So it, it's just stunning, and there's also this connection where
1: it it draws the line between catching up and flirting because it, it's oh yeah. There's definitely a flirtatious nature to their relationship because it's. I mean, it feels like for both of them that was their one chance at romance that, that mm-hmm. slipped away, and they're. Throughout their entire discussion, even after their significant others get brought up, there's always this hint that something could come of what's going on between them, and and I do enjoy the fact that it does cut to black. Um, it doesn't like we don't we don't see their goodbye.
0: No, it's it, yeah, it's true. I uh, you know one thing that. As you watch this film, you just are are kind of in wonder of of how can they duplicate the chemistry and and their budding relationship from the first film and they have a, they managed to do it you know they managed to to do it in a slightly different manner you know because all three of these films are, are also great reflections of people at moments in their lives and they discuss that in this film as well you know they talk about how young they were nine years before or in their early 20s you know and and their perspective on their lives at that point and then in this film they're they're um. Also discussing, oh, how they've grown up and how they perceive the world at this point, you know, and and oh, it, not everything is is as romantic and as as that as they thought it would be, hmm. you know, and, and oh, I, I just need this and this and I don't need that uh, or 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 that in my life right now. Uh, and uh, it, it's just. It's just a great reflection of of moments in time, and and that's what Rich, Richard Linklater in his passion projects has been able to do. You think everybody wants Some uh, from earlier this year? You think um, uh, uh, Dazed and Confused? Uh, th- these are films. All of these films of his. The, oh, and Boyhood is is a great example of of moments in life, you know, and and how. Uh, he is able to write people uh, and have those actors convey uh, moments in life and and, and how uh, those time periods uh, are just so, uh, influential on a person's outlook, you know, and and how they act at a certain age, and it's just it's just really remarkable, I think, how how authentic Richard Linklater is at writing people at uh, certain times in their lives, you know.
1: Yeah, I I really do appreciate how much difference this does feel from from the first movie where the first one is about that young love that's that first meeting. And this is, there's still, I mean, they're, they're still young being like in their early thirties at this point. Um, but there's also this sense of time lost
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: and how, how different romance and relationships are 10 years later. And, and I'm true. sure, and I'm sure that that continues on even further with Before Midnight. And I'm once again, uh, I may or may not end up uh, finishing the trilogy as, as it stands now um, on on my own myself, because I do want to see these characters, and I do think that it's it's interesting. And, and I hadn't thought about this before, but I did actually see um, Jesse and Celine before. Scene um, before sunrise because uh, like years and years ago I I actually watched Waking Life before this and, and it has a brief scene with the two of them repi- reprising their characters.
0: Oh, really, actually, I've never seen uh, Waking Life, so that's that's interesting to me. That really piques my interest.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's that uh, Richard Linklater's uh, animated. Movie where he he filmed everything and then they animated over the top of it so in like a an alternate form of like rotoscoping. Oh, okay. Um, and and yeah, that's it. Just it's kind of like the before series, except instead of talking specifically about two people in their relationship, it's just like several different people. Like it cuts from person to per, from group to group, and they're just talking about kind of random stuff about
0: life. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, so, you know, another uh, something I noted upon rewatch of this of Before Sunset was that every just about every other background character is alone or single uh, in and there's only a couple of individuals that are uh, with another person. I, I remember like one older couple and like two older men like having a conversation. Other than that, every other person like when, think when they're walking down this path, uh, this garden path, mm-hmm. and they come upon a runner, you know, somebody jogging. They come uh, upon a couple of people on a bench. And they're, they're, all of these people are alone and single. And even when they're walking in more public areas, just about every other person is alone. And I think that is not an accident. I think it is purposeful to do that as a contrast to these two people who are so connected at this point in their lives that, that they're essentially – themselves the only two people that, uh, you know, are even around, you know, because they're so focused on one another.
1: Yeah. And, and I know, like, for me, watching this the first time, I I wasn't focused too much on the background, so I I didn't catch a lot of that. So, although I did notice, um I I believe, I'm, I mean, there's only like six names in the credits that um, yeah. there were, if I had to guess, I didn't look at the IMDb, but I'm guessing like the the uh the older man that's um at celine's apartment was right. her was that julie delpy's father
0: oh okay okay yeah no, I,
1: it was like um i forget his first name but he was also a delpy
0: interesting interesting uh yeah i'm sure there's a lot of stuff in here you know i'm really anxious i think next year they're going to be releasing the criterion collection of all three films and i i mean that if there's anything to drop a bunch of money on it would be uh a, that kind of treatment on these films because um yeah, it, it would it would be amazing to see all the behind the scenes material on this to see how it was constructed. And, and normally, I'm not one to do that uh, for films. You know, it, it's it's been a while since I've even been interested in delving deep and, and, and digging deep into. Uh, extra features and and like learning the ins and outs of a, of a movie, but mm-hmm. to to be able to do that with these, I think would be remarkable. You know, would be really insightful. Uh, and you're right. I'm looking at a man on a man at Grill is Albert Delby, which is probably her father. Right. Yep.
1: Yeah. And um, I I mentioned this on on Twitter. I I, I do okay. think that it's that it will be great. I do hope that Richard Link- Linklater. And uh, Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy do continue to make one of these uh, every 10 years or so just to to look at uh, just how their life changes over time.
0: Yeah, it, you, you're so right. I would be all on board for them. It, it's like it seems like it's every nine years that they've been doing this movie, and and so if if the last one was in 2013, I guess it would be 2022 <laughs> that we could we could expect another uh, of these movies, and I would imagine it would be like I, I can't Im- I can't imagine it being anything other than titled after sunrise, after sunset, and after midnight because I think. I think by the time, if they're willing and able uh, to do uh, another three, I think by that time, you know, they'd be old enough uh, to to say you know, kind of call it quits after after a, a sixth film, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think it, once again, uh, it would be an amazing study of relationships at uh, at the these these ages, you know. Yeah, uh, because I mean,
1: so few uh films out there really focus on anything except for the uh what 18 to 39 age group
0: demographic yeah yeah i know you're right you're you're right and to have something like this which is well, you know, they, they start out featuring young people in love, but still it's such a mature film, you know, mm-hmm. but I think it's also accessible because because these two films, they they are so honest in how they portray people falling in love and how they portray uh, angst, you know, in, in uh, these these two people, especially in before sunset, uh, uh, you know, angst and regret. Uh, and I think that is that is what is so relatable about these films, you know, is that th- their honesty is what makes it so accessible.
1: Yeah. Well, I, th- I think we could continue to talk about this film for much longer, but uh, I think it's time to take a quick break. And then whenever we come back, we're going to talk about the film that I had you watch for the first time, Michael Jackson's Moonwalker. Hey guys, this is JD from the Incession Film Podcast. Every week on our show, you can join my co-host, Brendan and I, as we review the latest films that's out in theaters. It also inspires us to discuss a top three list of some sort, and we have a lot of other fun movie discussions as well. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, and more. In fact, you can just see everything about us, including our social medias at Incessionfilm.com. So join us every week. We'd absolutely love to have you.
0: Hi, everyone. This is Tim Costa. I'm Hermano da Silva. And this is Walter Vinci. And together, we are the First Time Watchers podcast. Each week, we choose a movie to review that none of us has seen. Watch it together. And then discuss. These movies could be new. Or old. Or on our list of shame. You can find us on iTunes by searching for the First Time Watchers Podcast. As well as on Stitcher. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. I mean, it's all about interaction. And talk about what we love. Movies. And you don't have to worry about us going on and on about this and that and the other. And oh, no, no, look, no, no, let's no. talk stop, about stop, this here. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut and shut, up. Shut, and I wonder who the God can damn watch. it, shut I think up. That's, I
1: think that's enough. Moonwalker came out in 1988 on home video and... Well, there isn't much narratively to it. It, it was essentially a, a showcase for Michael Jackson's history and, and personality, starting with several of his music videos and a couple uh, uh, concerts um, moments. And before it goes into this bizarre mini movie with Joe Pesci as a drug ping, drug kingpin and Michael as this odd magical savior for a group of uh, possibly orphans, uh, it's it's never quite clear. And uh, I know that that on this podcast, uh, I typically introduce my uh, guests to either superhero or comic book films. Uh, I know, I'm sure that this is going to be my biggest stretch uh, in calling this a superhero movie. But as far as how, at least how Michael Jackson sees himself within (laughs) this mini-movie, I definitely think that he qualifies as, as a superhero uh, even if this movie doesn't exactly, and i I know one of the reasons that you picked this was because you said that you were a fan of michael jackson and and hadn't seen this before um so i i know i I will say um just uh, skipping over the the music video segments, uh, what did you think overall of of the mini movie the i I believe they just <laughs> refer to the entire mini movie as smooth criminal, even though that's Generally thought of as just the like the music video in the middle of it.
0: I uh, oh well okay that's it. It's interesting then. So I would say if we're only going to be talking about this, uh, well, last we'll draft, talk about the whole thing, but just just for right now. Uh, okay. I, I honestly, I think it's the only reason to watch this entire thing. Uh, and really, <clears throat> more specifically, the smooth criminal segment in the cl- uh, club thirties. I I think the mini movie is is not good. (laughs) Uh, To to as an understatement, Um, I think that it it is um it is part of an extreme vanity project. (laughs) Yes, Uh, you could say that for the entirety of Moonwalker, but uh, this segment itself is a bit of a vanity project, and I mean. Uh, as as Michael Jackson got on with his career after Off the Wall, you could say just about everything was uh, about him was vain, you know. Um, but it, when it comes to this film, it's just it, it's screams uh, straight to video. Uh, it screams um, low budget uh, music video, you know, where where. Uh, Michael Jackson is probably uh, in control, even though there are a couple of directors. Th- he's probably in control of just about everything and shows because what he's doing is he's throwing ideas onto the wall and seeing if they stick. Uh, there's, there's, I-, I can't imagine anybody saying no to him. You know, they're like, okay, we'll do whatever we can, Michael. We'll do whatever we can, uh, because he has so many ideas going on in here that doesn't meld into anything, um, it, like it, it turning into a car. Uh, turning into a Transformer of some sort, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and which then in turn <laughs> goes into a spaceship. Um, you know, having strange superpowers at weird moments, um, you know, this whole – this strange flashback, which is really poorly edited, you know, that goes back into uh, – into how they found Joe Pesci's character, and then yeah. why does Joe Pesci want to kill all these people? And I don't know. Yeah, it, it, it's,
1: it's so bizarre, with, with the, just speaking of the flashback, because whenever you look at the flashback compared to the current uh, storyline, the flashback feels like it's years and years ago. Huh. But whenever you think about it in the story context, it has to have been like literally like right before.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it makes no sense, you know. Not much of this this uh, film makes any sense, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but literally, the only reason to watch it is, like I said, the Club Thirty scene, the music video section, the smooth criminal. Uh, song and dance routine is stunning i uh, hit th- there is no denying that michael jackson was one of the best performers of all time um and, and one of the best dancers too and he is able to show off some techniques and moves in this scene which is unbelievable uh and and you know once again You know, being a film, uh, part of a film podcast, where I'm have been able to see a lot of uh, older films now, and now I'm able to uh, appreciate influence. It's it's really amazing how influenced Michael Jackson was uh, um, from uh, you know Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire and a lot of other older musicals, uh, and how he incorporated those moves into his own unique uh uh way of of moving and dancing is is really just something to behold yeah. i he he is is one of the best performers of all time Yeah.
1: yeah that's i think that's without question and and i do think that that the best part of this film is the music videos in general i i think, because it does open with like a section of a few videos um before that and and on top of that i i think that this like you said moonwalker is like a vanity project because this this film allows michael jackson to be so many different things it's like um in in moonwalker michael jackson is a little kid yeah. he's bugs bunny he's yeah. a transformer he's the <laughs> 30s gangster he's uh, like gulliver
0: yeah it's so it's so strange you know it, and and I, I don't even know if the beginning part of this film is is even that good either because yes it does show parts of his music videos but they're edited so sloppily yeah. and they there's no flow to them if you want i mean with something like this if this is what your ultimate goal is is to show how you got to this point in 1988 you you need to have some sort of narrative and it has to be natural if you're going to be editing all of these uh uh parts of his life and his his performing life you know yeah. um and, and they're not edited well at all No I I do think that it's
1: it is fascinating just to to see just the, the progression of his career from his beginnings up to the, this point in, in 1988. And and I do think it's funny that you say that this has a low budget feel to it because I, I believe this this is actually pretty pretty high budget uh, at least uh, for a project of this nature. Because uh, at, at the time, I believe that the graphics to make him turn into this Transformer were actually quite state-of-the-art. Uh, uh,
0: uh, I don't doubt... Out. Yeah, I don't doubt that they were, but you know, if see, if you're going to throw a, a bunch of money uh, at this at this y- y- you need to learn your lesson from Thriller where John Landis, you know, made a 14-minute film which was excellent. It was excellent. And uh it got to showcase everything that you would want from Michael Jackson and you know, at that time in his career and when, I, I think that, and even um, "Bad," which the the music video for that, I uh, which you which is so strange in in Moonwalker, which is redone and reshot with little kids, mm-hmm. and but the original one was done by uh, I think it was directed by Spike Lee, if I'm uh, not mistaken. Uh, Martin Scorsese, I believe. Oh, Martin Scorsese. Yeah. Oh, shoot. Okay. Um, well, even so, then <laughs> uh, you know you, <laughs> you it, it's uh, he didn't. He didn't take any lessons from those two experiences in yeah, which I mean, in which he needed to throw all of his effort at that just making a nightclub scene, you know. Or if you wanted to incorporate the whole uh, drug dealing Joe Pesci thing as well, fine. But keep it short and don't expand this to a feature length film, which has no right. to... There's no justification for it whatsoever.
1: Yeah, and and I think also the tone of this film is all over the place because you have like the the segments like batter and speed demon speed demon which yeah. uh, i think speed demon is a lot of fun taking like looked at on its own individually but whenever you have it's like michael jackson kind of poking fun at himself because we we have bad do- redone with little kids and all the roles and there's a little bit of like the the weird Aliyankovic, like the the kid goes for the crotch grab and he like crosses his eyes and falls over on his face, and uh, and in Speed Demon he he kind of pokes fun of himself even more with his like uh, with his level of fame, and then that goes into Leave Me Alone, which is almost the exact opposite, where he's like yeah. uh, he has all this stuff about how he's being tormented by all this fame where just in in the music video before that he was poking fun at us like not only that but he has these these moments where it's like he almost gets away but then he turns back to these claymation figures and he's like and uh, after he dons the rabbit costume and he like does some dance moves to show that he's michael jackson so they'll start chasing him again because in yeah. that film, in that music video, it's like he relishes this this public that's coming after him in an overzealous way. But then the very next one, "Leave Me Alone," it's like I, it's like he doesn't want that.
0: I know. Yeah. The, like you said, it's just so inconsistent, uh, and it's just. I, I agree with everything that you've said. You know, it, it, it's just uh, it's probably just his vanity. You know, where he isn't. At this point in his career, after all of this success, he probably has so many yes men that that there's nobody willing to push against any of uh, his his ideas in this and that. It's just, um, you know, it's probably similar to what. I don't know. I, I was gonna try to make a M Night Shyamalan comparison, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> post Lady in the Water, but uh, I, I, the, he never reached the the same heights as as Michael Jackson, you know, which is yeah. which is, is so sad because you know his um the the. The music video or the the movie that came out after Michael Jackson died, This Is It, is so amazing. It's so well done. Uh and it just it it breaks your heart to see that it looked like it was a a possibility that he could have come back to perform for people hmm. and and at a relatively high high level, you know, because you see the performance is is the, the the practicing and the the choreography and the and the routines going on in there, and you're like, oh my god, he has such a vision. It, it, this this tour is going to be amazing, you know, and and uh, and maybe that was at a point in his life where he was able to take in um, some more. Uh, I don't know suggestions from people because he had gone to such high and then come back down so low and maybe he had been humbled a bit. I don't know. I don't know. It is sad that we were never able to see the fruition of that. You know.
1: Yeah. Um, but going going back to this this film, I mean, I, I do agree with you, especially that um, I, I believe the that one segment is is the called retrospective where he goes through. All like clips of all his music videos is the worst part. But uh, what what did you think about like the I guess the the first three music videos or or four if, I guess if you count Man in the Mirror, which I, I guess which is more of like just the concert footage uh,
0: video. Uh, well, I mean, yeah. I, I, look, I I enjoy seeing any any part of any clips of him from from his performing career. You know, it, it, it's really remarkable to see. Uh, how he grew up, how, how uh, you know talented he was at such a young age with the Jackson Five, you know, mm-hmm. and and then you compare that to his performing uh, in front of hundreds of thousands of people. It seems you know in these stadiums. Yeah. Uh and and something. One other thing
1: that that I almost for, that I constantly forget about in seeing it is just amazing to watch it, about how. He has these these women fans that are at his concerts that that are just so so excited at seeing Michael Jackson that they that they like collapse.
0: Yeah, look they're, they're it's a, it's a generational uh um phenomenon you know with, with performers like michael jackson obviously elvis presley then you have the beatles and then michael jackson you know and i, I don't think there has been anybody as popular uh, as michael jackson since his heyday you know of the 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 80s you know and the late 80s yeah, uh, i, I where... feel like the
1: closest thing at least as far as as devotion within his fan base but his fan base is nowhere near the level would be like a justin bieber
0: oh yeah no i can understand your the sentiment of the devotion but you're right that see the thing is michael jackson's fan base i think was so wide reaching you know and it covered so such a wide spectrum of people of demographics you know and, and and I, I it, like I said, you're not going to be able to find another uh, act, <coughs> another performer uh, to have the same reach, I don't think, uh, and the same impact on on the music industry um, as as he has. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, you, you might want uh, maybe maybe Beyonce nowadays. Yeah, uh, you know she she is very talented she is very good at what she does uh and i i think her reach and her popularity is you know is pretty wide but uh i just wonder if it says as, as big as wide reaching as michael jackson's ever was you know and, and it just goes to show look at those concerts look at the uh his his diversity uh, when it comes to music, uh, he was very inclusive when it came to his music and uh, in, in, in how you have um, Slash and Eddie Van Halen featured, and then you have uh, the notorious B.I.G. later on in, in Michael Jackson's career. Uh, and it's just amazing how uh, he was able to incorporate so many um, different – Aspects of of, of, of um, you know genres, different genres into his mm. his own music, you know. Yeah, um, and I want to, I will say that like not only is the whole
1: smooth criminal that Lucky Star film just so bizarre from <laughs> literally from beginning to end. I mean, it yeah. it makes no sense for any part of it really. I mean, Joe Pesci is this drug lord, and he's trying to like literally get kids as, um, as clients. It's like you gotta hook them when they're young and they'll be clients for life. And yet he has this like Stormtrooper-like army and it's it's almost like he rules this entire town which has no residents except for (laughs) michael and these three orphan orphan looking kids
0: there's so many shots of michael jackson just running on the streets (laughs) you know and and the the stormtroopers running after him that i got bored after a few minutes i'm like when is this going to end this has to uh, stop running have some uh, something happen you're right because it it, it's just so poorly done it makes no sense no lick of motivation you know why are these people doing this why is he doing this what you know where is everybody um you know once again there's no denying the the fact that michael jackson had a message you know not just in this but in a lot of his uh music you know he had good intentions when it came to uh making people aware of certain aspects of life you know around the world um And I think that his intention with this was obviously, you know, kids stay off of drugs and, and, uh, stay away from spiders. (laughs) I know. Uh, It's just so, but it's so ham fisted and so poorly done and haphazard that, that there's no, there's no good through line or anything like that.
1: Yeah. Um, but I, I will say that, that out of his entire, um, Song Catalog, this does include a lot of my favorite songs of his. Mm -hmm. Like, I I do love, even though it deals with kids in there, it's, I mean, Bad is still a great song. I, I, I really love Speed Demon and Leave Me Alone. And of course, Smooth Criminal is probably my favorite song of his. And, and I even yeah. think come together is, is a great song too and well
0: what a what a piss-poor way to end the movie too though it, it makes <laughs> once again it makes no sense yeah it makes it's like no hey, sense. hey
1: kids I want to show you something <laughs> yeah and, and, and it's, so, it's it's so much fun like when I was watching just this end part my wife came in and we had so much fun like uh, just like mst3k it's a little bit it's like hey kids i want to show you something it's like yeah. are there any spiders no there's no spiders there might be a snake but uh
0: <laughs> yeah i know oh, it was so it, wrong. it was bizarre it was weird it, and honestly once it ended i'm like wait a minute is that is that the end there's nothing else yeah <laughs> I like I, I just didn't know what to make of it you know and yeah sure it's 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 a good song but a, and if anybody's gonna cover a Beatles song, sure, Michael Jackson is is pretty good at it, you know. <laughs> yeah, and
1: uh, John Lennon's son is uh, one of the three orphan kids too.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. So yeah, no, I mean, it, it, there's good notes, you know, like that in here, but ultimately this 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 as a feature length film fails about on every level. Oh, definitely. It's I mean, it's it's
1: great as like a a, mo- a a music video compilation. And then just uh, skip skip over all the the big narrative beats and the uh, the way too long retrospective. Uh, yeah, agreed. And and I do also I do also really like the 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 song that they play over the end credits the the moon is walking.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by then I had kind of checked out. I was <laughs> like, oh, I'm, I'm I need I need to go do something else.
1: <laughs> Hi, Al, um, I'd like to thank you for for. Uh, giving moonwalker a try even though i i had a feeling well i i knew it wasn't going to be a a great film but at least it's relatively short i think it's like only an hour and a half about pretty much about the same time as uh as before sunset and uh and thank you for giving me the uh (laughs) the excuse to uh go back to the before series and and hopefully i will actually finish the trilogy on my own without waiting another couple years for somebody to uh Pick it for me on, on this podcast.
0: I expect a full written dissertation on the, before, <laughs> the entire Before series uh, by the end of next week.
1: All right, but why don't you go ahead and <laughs> remind everybody where they can find you online.
0: Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, once again, you can uh, contact us on Twitter at 1STTimeWatchers. You can find our entire back catalog at firsttimewatchers.blogspot.com. You can find us on iTunes just by searching First Time Watchers. And uh, you can even just find us on Facebook by searching First Time Watchers.
1: And as always, I'm Bubba Wheat, and you can find me at flightstightsandmovienights.com. You can find me on Twitter at Bubba Wheat. And I am actually recording this episode way early, so I have no idea what's going to be on the next episode of FilmWise, if it's going to be a regular episode, or if it's going to be another uh, FilmWise spotlight episode. Uh, But uh, whatever it is, go ahead and listen through to the end, and there will be a trailer for it if I don't end up re-recording this, which I probably won't. So until next time...
0: Monsters are not real. Can't be too careful with all those weirdos around. we can be like Mascot and Stygian. I like the cape. Not sure about the mask, though. The way I see it, the only one in this room controlled by his parents is you. Nobody's gonna do a thing about it but...
1: Uh... I dive at your bottom. I bloody well ought to, sir.